Hello and welcome to this, the first episode of the creatively titled basketball show brought to you by Ball in Europe. I am, of course, the editor of Ball in Europe, Emmett Ryan. And, well, we've kind of wanted to do this for a while, have a regular podcast. Obviously, when Oz was around, he was doing it. Well, it makes it makes sound like he's dead. Oz is very much still alive and in Irvine in California. But when Oz was uh, running the show, he obviously collaborated a lot with David Hine on uh, Dave's Taking the Charge podcast. And uh, we didn't want to do something quite like what Dave does, uh, basically because that's totally its own thing and we didn't really want to just be repeating what somebody else is doing likewise we're trying to go a bit off uh, from the style that EuroLeague Adventures do with their podcast because essentially there aren't that many uh, English language podcasts on European basketball there aren't that many podcasts in European basketball in any language and we're kind of you know uh, trying to make sure that we're given our own listen, our own feel to it, uh, basically just give something different because if there aren't going to be that many of us, although I'm hoping we'll help push it forward and get everybody else to start considering doing it too. Uh, we await Sportando and uh, Eurohoops to give their efforts. Uh, so we're going to go with our own flavor, our own approach. And uh, yeah, I still haven't worked out what that flavor and approach is, but it's going to try and be not what everybody else is doing just so you have another reason to listen, uh, essentially, because we want you to listen to Dave, we want you to listen to EuroLeague Adventures because anyone to listen to us you want to listen to as much european basketball discussion as you can and this episode really is uh, coming about as our opening episode a little out of nowhere uh, because essentially we were going to do it probably the original plan i would have said was going to be let's get it going just in time for the start of next season 2016-17 but a few things have come together uh, obviously uh, domestically here in ireland we have the return of the national team so we're going to have some good interviews around that i've also got another interview linked to that lined up which uh, is involves a former irish bowler who's uh, still quite young, but just as a fascinating story of their own to tell. And uh, then outside of that, obviously, there's some major issues to look at, like the role of basketball in the Olympics far more than the Olympics itself. And uh, then the big one, which has been a big talking point on our site with my long-form series, which uh, is still in process, even though there's been a gap since the last article I know. Um, and that is, of course, on the civil war between FIBA Europe and EuroLeague. And that's very much where we are going with our very first episode of the creatively titled Basketball Show. Because, well, FIBA Europe kind of came to us. The Gresham Hotel in Dublin was the uh, host for the FIBA Europe Assembly, General Assembly this year. And it was a sort of surreal sight because you had Arvida Sabona standing outside smoking a pipe and nobody knowing him from Adam on the streets because Dublin isn't a basketball city like when people ask me about basketball in Ireland they kind of go well for there's a lot of passionate basketball people don't get me wrong but for the average Joe their interaction is essentially uh, the NBA and the National Cup finals on TV so there isn't that level of breakthrough as much yet into the mainstream and so Sabonis can just stand there in a the street smoking a pipe nobody knows him from Adam you had Jorge Garbajosa Dejan Badaroga same sort of thing just like strolling around hell yeah and like outside of the basketball arm people I was probably the only person there who recognized him it was a sort of surreal sight so that was sort of the backdrop uh, we're here like we're talking about in the heart of Dublin City and 
we obviously wanted to talk to some of the FIBA bigwigs that were at this. So we have uh, two interviews for this first podcast. Uh, both are reasonably short, but very much to the point. Uh, first off is Kamil Novak, who, of course, is the executive director of FIBA Europe. And after that, we're going to talk to Turgai Demerel. Uh, and uh, we try to take slightly different tacks with both of them, purely so we weren't asking the same questions to both guys, because they're both interesting fellows. Both have, like, you know, their own points to make. And obviously, you know, both relevant in terms of different parts of this uh, of of this entire um, uh, process, and I said director general. Of course, it is secretary general. So sorry, there's so many bloody titles for bosses these days. Kamil Novak is the day-to-day boss of uh, of, of uh, FIBA Europe. That's the easiest way to put it. Whereas, of course, Turgay is the president. And uh, so yeah, we're going to start off with Kamil Novak, and we uh, start off by obviously welcoming to Dublin, and then we get pretty much to the point about. So, the war. How's it going? So, this is me talking to Kamil Novak earlier today. So, Kamil, first off, welcome to Dublin. Uh, how are you finding Ireland? It's my second time. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have so much time to to really uh, uh, go around and, and, and see the city. Uh, but uh, at least yesterday, on the day, the day before yesterday, we went to the mayor's house. We had a dinner outside and uh, I heard a lot about Dublin. Uh, and my impression is very positive. Um, I like it. And of course, this past season and this summer coming sort of is Ireland's return very much to European basketball. The club level we saw this year with Hibernia and the FIBA Europe Cup, just small countries coming up. For nations of this size, like how important is it for FIBA to be able to see that develop, to see them playing in club competitions, but also getting back into national play? I would not like to speak about the size of the country or size of the federation. It doesn't matter. Believe me or not. We do not divide our big country, small country, big federation. This is not our, this is not our approach. For us, it's important that every country uh, grows, that every country, that the development is better and better every year. And obviously, the part of the devil, you cannot develop if you do not play, if you do not compete. And that's why we are happy that Ireland, not only Ireland, but especially Ireland in the last years, came back on the European stage, uh, competed. Uh, and, and collected the, the, the experiences and uh, I hope that it will continue in the, in the next years even with more teams and in more competitions. And obviously looking at the FIBA Europe Cup, it was the first year of it replacing Euro Challenge. The plan is for the Champions League and that this coming year, but there is the elephant in the room of the current uh, discussions, I suppose is the best way to describe it, with the other organisation in Europe. Like, How would you describe your relationship at present with uh, EuroLeague basketball? Well, the, the relation is, is obviously, I mean, we, we had a meeting, we had a meeting beginning of May where we tried to, to make or to, to, to settle some kind of agreement. Uh, it did not happen, even though the feeling, our feeling was that not we are not that far away uh, from each other. The Actually now the, the, the point of, of, of dispute is, is the number of the teams playing in, in the EuroLeague. Uh, I believe, or we believe, that we proposed a very, very reasonable agreement. Uh, it was sent to, to, to EuroLeague uh, just a couple of days after after the meeting, reflecting the meeting, summarizing the meeting, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's a it's a process. I mean, uh, it's there's no secret. Uh, now we have uh, we are in disputes also uh, at the European Commission. Now some members of the European Parliament also uh, uh, understood that there is a problem. So it became it became a, a global European European issue, and. Uh, I strongly believe, and so does the whole FIBA Europe and FIBA, that we can find a solution which would uh, which would solve the, the problems uh, and which would bring us together and uh, make us grow together. 
the Euroleague, and we respect the Euroleague. That's that's what it is. We we had a proposal back in uh, in 2015. It was not accepted. That's life. I mean, that's what we have to respect. Uh, that's why we. But we continue with the pro, with the with the project of the Basketball Champions League. There is a space, and we want to have a clear competition system. And we believe there is a space for Euroleague, for the Champions League, and this would help the European basketball to grow. And like, are you in discussions regularly, even informally, with Jordi Bertomeo, or how's how's it working at the moment? The, the way you guys are well, at the moment, as I said, we we had a meeting in uh, we had a meeting in uh, beginning of May. I was present, and also the Secretary General of FIBA, Mr. Baumann, was present in Berlin at the at the final four. Uh, but uh, we didn't have any meetings there. Obviously, the the Euroleague representatives were busy with the, with the event, which is very normal. And. Uh, in the letter which we received from Euroleague was that they will come up with some proposal for another meeting after the final four. So now we are waiting. And as it stands, as doing the maths, if both of you run everything you're planning on running, you would we'd have about 120 teams playing regular season basketball in Europe this year. I don't think anyone expects that to happen. So, do you? <coughs> most will expect the Euroleague closest to happen. Most of us at least one FIBA competition to happen. It's that third competition in the middle between FIBA Euro Cup and EuroLeague seems to be a debate. Could you see a, a coming together where a Euro Cup and the Champions League is running perhaps a collaboration, a partnership of some kind? Well, we believe that there should be only one competition between the EuroLeague and the FIBA Euro Cup, and it should be the Basketball Champions League. Uh, we believe that we have a very reasonable uh, system, very reasonable competition uh, system. Uh, we won't uh, really go after the sporting principles. This is uh, very important. Uh, we understand, and don't get me wrong. Obviously, it's also a, 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 there is also one 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 let's say form of the competition could be a close competition. That, that's possible. I mean, we see it in the USA. It works. Whether it will work in Europe, I don't know. That's I, I don't want to I don't want to judge this. But our system is purely clearly, uh, and the basics are to strengthen the national championships. This is a key, and. Uh, to strengthen, in order to strengthen national championships, we need to give them value. That means that you have to qualify to any European competition through your national championship. I think and we believe that this is the key principle. And with the national championships, obviously in certain regions there is disputes over that. With the VTB, obviously, uh, with Russia and sort of, well, friends for one way of putting it. And obviously there's the Adriatic League, which has obviously come into issues with you guys. Do you see a way where you can have national and multinational championships running side by side under your auspices? Well, this, with these regional leagues, uh, this is more or less a matter of the national federations involved there. Uh, don't forget, we only approve regional leagues where all the participating national federations uh, agree and, and approve. Uh, so obviously, uh, and, 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 and I, I, we believe that this is not so difficult to find, to find, a, to find a solution uh, there must be clear system. What are the obligations and the rights of the national federations? What uh, about the clubs? Uh, it's just all about negotiation and clear, clear agreement. And I want to move on because I know we haven't got too much time, Kamil. It's a Eurobasket because obviously 2017 next year you're staying with the format, which was very interesting. I would argue very successful last year of multi-location. Uh, you're staying with it for next year, and that's when it goes from every two years to every four years. So for you guys to transition, first of all, I want to ask you. What do you see sort of being the upside of having that multi-location format to Eurobasket? And two, what's the challenge for FIBA Europe going from a biennial to quadrennial tournament? So first, to the to the upsides, uh, I think the numbers that speaks they speaks for itself. Uh, it was amazing to have 
to have over 730,000 uh, spectators in all four venues, or five venues actually, at the Eurobasket. It was a significant increase, and this is what it is about. It was actually the, the basic idea. How do we improve the number of spectators, especially in the first rounds, in the preliminary rounds? Because, you know, to sell out the arena for for the finals, it's not so difficult because everybody wants to see the finals. But if you have four uh, preliminary rounds, uh, how you fill the arenas, and obviously with four hosts, uh, it is it is much easier. And it it, uh, it was proven that this is the this is the way. Um, so this 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 increase was was uh, was unbelievable. Another factor was that we had a fantastic uh, venue for the final for the final phase. I don't know whether you were present. It was very yes, Leo. Uh, so I don't need to tell you. It was it was really amazing. And actually, uh, I have a short video for the presentation to be presented to the General Assembly today. When I see it again, I cannot even believe that we had a championship in such a venue. I mean, in the soccer stadium, twenty-seven thousand people. Over twenty-seven thousand people. So this was really this is really fantastic memory. But obviously, we are already now in the mind in 2017. We want to do even better, even though we don't have such a fantastic. Venue. Venue, but we have another fantastic venue in Istanbul for the for the final phase, so we are working there uh, to improve. I mean, there are, there are a lot of things we can do better, no doubt. We we we, we learned a lot uh, in 2015. Uh, unfortunately, due to the time issue, you know, all the relocation, it took us a little bit of time. We are we could not implement all the changes we would like to, but we are going step by step, and and this is also a little bit with the with the going to the four-year cycle mm. uh, that give us a little bit also room to you know to prepare everything and to really uh, to really organize a great uh, 2021 even later. But uh, mentally we are now still in 2017. <laughs> I suppose one of the reasons I want to ask you about going that far ahead, even though we know it's quite a long way, is the new qualification format is going to come into play by then. And for the nations who, for whom, for want of a better way of phrasing it, it's more it's more difficult for them in terms of talent to make it to Eurobasket, is what I mean. Like they're less likely to qualify. So in Ireland, for example, like it's very important to get them having more competitive home games more often, I suppose, against the larger nations. I suppose that's one of the things you're trying to make sure is that get more of that European basketball family together on a more regular basis. That's one of the reasons you're thinking of that. Absolutely, and we I can tell you we introduced last year the qualification for the Eurobasket women uh, where we played in the windows. Uh, it was a big step. Uh, it was uh, it was not difficult, but it was really challenging. And I can tell you that the the, the feedback is just unbelievable. When you see the, just the spectators' numbers, and again, I have some some numbers already today for the general assembly. You see the increase of the spectators, um, but this is logical. Before, in the system before, we did not have official, I mean, we had friendly games, but official games we didn't have. So, for, for instance, when I spoke with Tony Parker in 2013 during Eurobasket in Slovenia, he told me my last official game in France where I played, you know, like not friendly game, but really, really game which counts, it was 2002, I think he says. I said, 2002, it's 11 years ago. He said, yes. So, you know, so this is obviously for the kids and, you know, for the young people, for, for everybody who likes, who likes basketball. It's nothing better than to go to an arena and see your stars, your favorite player to play, you know, in the in the, in, the, in in front of the of the of the of the of the crowd. So um, we believe that it will be it will and it will be another step in development of not only European basketball, uh, because the other zones will play also these qualification windows, but especially the European basketball can make a, another huge step. And, of course, I gave away that I am actually recording this podcast on the day of the two interviews there, just before we went to Kamal Novak. And next up is uh, Turgay Demerel. So, with Turgay, to be honest, because I felt 
we had covered as extensively the club issue as we were going to cover in this podcast. And also, there was serious time pressure with this recording because both gentlemen had to go in and give speeches very early in the morning at the General Assembly. And it was a case of, you know, get to the stuff we reckon are going to be interesting on and they're going to talk a bit about. So that's what they wanted to go to with Turgai. So for those of you who are a little younger or just maybe were a bit a little later coming to following basketball in Europe, uh, what you may not realize is that Turkey's not actually that long an established player at a serious level in this sport. We're only talking a couple of decades since the women were playing in the small countries uh, or what was then the development uh, promotions competition, uh, you know, and Turkey's never really been called small, I think, at any point uh, as a country, but effectively that's where they were. They were third world basketball country in Europe in many respects uh, at the international level. And uh, the Demirel era running the Turkish Basketball Federation has largely seen a sort of the change in that. They went from having a low budget to having a big budget they went from being pretty much uncompetitive to being a country that like regularly hosts major championships at youth level and adult level they've of course hosted the world championship or world cup and as it's now known in the men's case uh and and the women's in 2010 and it, and in 2014 so that and they're hosting of course the finals of Eurobasket next some next autumn so there's a lot of sort of you know turkey has made itself on the grand stage and obviously the club level we've seen huge steps forward galatasaray winning euro cup this year fenerbahce coming within moments really of winning euro league this year and so with turgay i wanted to ask him about turkey's development how it's sort of a template and inspiration for other countries who maybe are kind of going how do we get there now obviously with turkey there is the elephant in the room of they had their massive industrial development around the same phase but Basketball still had to fight its way to make itself number two in Turkey. So I think there's still a lot to get from Turgay on that. And also, I'm gonna, I asked him about, I'm going to, as though this hasn't happened yet. Of course, I already spoke to him. And so I already know the answer. So I know what's coming up. Come on, guys. This is ball in Europe. We know how we operate here. So, yeah. So uh, Turgay is also going to talk here about just what how he sort of envisions the role of the new international windows, like what the point of them is. Like, you know, we know why everybody's fighting over the international windows. That's not a debate. What I want to sort of hear from Turgay guy was what he actually hopes to get out of having these international windows what he hopes the benefit will be for for FIBA essentially because we know where the clubs don't want it we kind of know where the why FIBA does want it but we just don't know we, I think the interesting part in this discussion really from Turgay is what the actual upside for FIBA is not just why they want it uh, so that's I think some interesting stuff coming up from Turgay and so yeah I will catch you on the flip side of this uh, well Turgay uh, welcome to Dublin first Thank off you. Uh, and I suppose you're a very interesting person for people in Ireland when it comes to basketball because when you, in your time when you were president of the Turkish Federation, you took over, the budget for Turkish Federation was pretty small, Turkey's standing in European basketball was nowhere near where it is today. Over the past uh, 24 years, obviously both at club and international level, and you've seen that obviously as an ex-player with Gala right. and what the, their recent achievements. You know, it's like you look at the sort of that that two-decade journey for Turkey. Do you like to see that sort of as a template that other nations can look at, saying there is no point too small to start at? Definitely, it's a template. I mean, when I started, we didn't have any budget and also human resources much, but we knew what we wanted and we had passion, and we were committed uh, to develop our beloved sport in our country so with the help of many other people around in the board in the federation in the clubs in basketball society all together we managed to come to a much better level in european and the world standards i'm sure that uh, what we have done when we started in 1990s 
could be uh, used as an example, as an best example. And obviously with Ireland, the big news for them this summer is they're returning the European Small Countries Championships in Moldova yes. and in Gibraltar. Like for for FIBA Europe, like how important is it to have that point for the nations who, for them, qualifying for Eurobasket is a logistical challenge because of various issues. Like how important is it to keep those people part of that European basketball family? Actually, it is one of the, our main goals. When I started, I said that we want all the federations to participate in every kind of national team competitions, not only in the senior level, but also in the junior levels, in, if possible, in every category. And that is why we start to use some incentives to the federations with participation of their grassroots national teams by some amount, which was started with 5,000 euro now extended to seven. So we are facing increasing number of national teams participating in grassroots competitions. And last year, 51 out of 52 federations were part of those competitions, which is a great success, except Swiss, I must say. And uh, I'm sure it is also a very good start to start also with small countries participate uh, competition. Once, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I don't remember exactly when, but Turkish women's team also started with a small uh, country's uh, competitions, and then we end up playing the Olympics in 2012 in London. So I think it's a good way to start uh, in any kind of national teams, but of course you have to make the grassroots programs available for the kids in the country. And of course, just over a year from now, about 15 months, the final of Eurobasket 2017 will be back in Turkey. Right. Uh, you know, for you, because you've seen the World Championships for men and women play, be played in Turkey, now Eurobasket is coming. Like, how important is it for, for you, like sort of, you know, having seen what you've done in your career, to be getting these major events, uh, you know, and obviously for you as Phoebe Europe uh, boss, uh, to see, you know, Eurobasket come home for you? Actually, uh, you know, I finalized my career as Turkish basketball president and now it's a new challenge for my uh, follower Harun Erdenay and they were competing for hosting also 2015 but maybe it was too early to organize and now they host they will host 2017 after 2001 which is 16 years before I think the four country format was a success in the last championship and we had huge growth of ticket sales marketing revenues etc I, I'm hoping that we will have another level, we are going to achieve another level in 2017. And of course, Turkey is a very basketball passionate country. And I'm hoping that it will be a great tournament in all those countries, Finland, Romania and Israel, and the finals in Turkey. I'm looking forward. And, and obviously, uh, after 2017, the new qualification formats come in for men, they're already in place for women. In terms of getting players released, because obviously what fans want is to see the most good players possible for national federations. Yeah. With the NBA players, it's always going to be a challenge outside of certain windows. Do you, are you confident we're going to be able to get the best European-based players released? Yeah, the, the, the problem with the NBA that exists, I mean, the existing NBA uh, contract doesn't allow that the players can go and play during the season. But as you said, some windows, they will be a part of this system. And in some windows, they won't be able to join. But then the rest of all the other players in EuroLeague or they are playing in China or somewhere else, uh, the system will be almost identical with the system of soccer. As you know, in soccer, even in the friendly games, all the national team players has to go unless they are not seriously injured. So this is the support of the sport. This is how you grow the sport. And that's what we need. There has been a mistake in 2001-2003 period with the club competitions and also with the national competitions to cancel the windows. 
depending on the request of some strong federations. And I don't think that was the best decision of FIBA has taken in the past, also FIBA Europe. Uh, we started with the women's the qualification games during the season, and we are getting very good results. In every country, they are playing the qualifications. There are a lot of spectators, fans, and interest of the sponsors. I'm sure that with the men's, it will be much bigger and much better. And that was Turgay Demerol speaking to me in Dublin at the FIBA Europe General Assembly. So that's obviously just one side of the whole civil war debate. And we will hopefully at some point get a chance to talk to EuroLeague about their side. And I really hope, though, that by the time that comes around, we've got everything solved. And uh, the questions I'm asking will be pointless because I'm sort of trying to play a neutral role here. I was being a little bit devil's advocate with the guys earlier, trying to sort of, you know, show the other side. I think, though, by and large, the best way to describe the bias, the stance, the editorial view of Ball in Europe is that we hate stupid heads, and everybody seems to be acting like stupid heads right now. But to use some rather more, I suppose, apt and uh, direct language, language which is a little bit more, well, grown up, there's a line from Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which I think refers neatly to the way most people who are basketball fans in Europe feel right now. And it's uh, by Colonel Lawrence, who that film obviously refers to in the title, to his former prison guard who was about to be executed. And he says to the former prison guard, you are the victim of men who think they are right. And right now, uh, even though we haven't done all the terrible things that Bichakeshi's character did as the prison guard in that movie, I think we the fans are definitely uh, victims of men who think they are right right now, whatever side. Uh, you look at that from because we've got two sides here who both claim about they well, don't just claim I think it's safe to say both sides do genuinely care about basketball but both are so obsessed with their own viewpoint that we really just can't get collaboration you know everybody's kind of going well if they you know did this for us like even the way Cal was saying it I thought our offer was very reasonable and I'm sure your league with their thing would say the same but neither comes out, you know, sort of trying to be the olive branch extender. And I think that's the problem uh, we're seeing out there. And so, yeah, it needs to be more collaborative, much more love, much more actually realizing that we're not football. Like, football is a terribly run sport, but it's got one thing going for it. It's huge. It's absolutely monstrous. And you will never be football. And once you accept it, you kind of realize that having fights with each other is stupid. Because when you all fight... You all divide resources and you make it harder for anyone to get ahead and you make it harder as well for people to, you know, really buy into it. Like, 15 years ago, we crowned two separate European club champions. That's ridiculous that there were two teams who were supposedly the number one team in Europe. No one should ever at any point in sport have that happen. Like, oh, God, uh, pardon my way of phrasing that, but that's just stupid. So anyway, that's my end of that rant. I will get back to it on a more sort of, I suppose, formalized, organized level in the long-form series on BIE in the next couple of weeks. And I just want to bring you guys to the speed of the plan for this podcast. We're not planning on having too many episodes over the summer. 
although we are planning on hopefully having a few. We're hoping to do one in Germany as soon as next weekend, depending on uh, one, my day, my day job travel plans, and also how the German finals exactly break down. Then we have a couple lined up with a few Irish basketball internationals. You might kind of go, isn't that a bit too locally focused? Well, yes, but it's the summer. It's hard to get hold of the right people. And, well, also, I think at least one, if not both, Irish ones I have planned. And there may even be three Irish ones in the, in the pipeline. But I know at least one is going to have a level of appeal that's going to go beyond, not even just uh, people into Irish, Irish sport, but people sort of, you know, into sports in general. I think there's going to be definitely a human side to one of these stories that a lot of you are going to want to hear. And then the last one we really sort of have forward planned is the plan is to put together a podcast looking at the role of basketball in the Olympics and the role of the Olympics in basketball. And essentially, that's because, well, you know, talking previews, talking players, talking teams, that's great. I love when people do that. I think what we can offer is something different because... Analytics is a thing I believe is very important. Uh, player development is a very important thing. Player understanding of roles is a very important thing. Unfortunately, an awful lot of people are going to be doing that already. So all we would do is add another voice to that. And so somebody tuning in for a basketball podcast, we want to give them that different story, that story that's harder for them to find. You know, it may not be as broadly appealing, but I think it's still going to be of interest to them. So we're going to look at the... We're going to try and debate with some smart people the point of the Olympics in basketball and the point of basketball in the Olympics. And I think you can already guess that I've got certain views on that, but I am going to try and take a pretty uh, pretty neutral stance. And, like, you know, I'm definitely going to be unprejudiced in terms of who I talk to. I, I really want to get views from both sides as to sort of the overall role of it. And, yeah, that should be fun. So we've got a few podcasts in the pipeline. I hope you're going to enjoy them. Once that summer sort of tranche of the next, I think that's about four to six episodes potentially after this one are done, we take a big break. I mean, a big, 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 big break. And we will come back shortly before the start of the next European club season, whatever form that takes. There will obviously be EuroLeague. We may start a little earlier than EuroLeague's opening day. Not entirely sure yet. But uh, there's going to be a big break after the Olympics, that's for sure. There's no there's no doubt of that. But then we have a lot in, in mind. So that's enough of my rambling, because I've been talking for quite a lot after Turg, I finished talking. Thank you all so very much for tuning in to this first episode of the Creatively Titled Basketball Show. We are going to get ourselves down tight. We're going to get intro music. We're going to get outro music. I'm going to learn to do fade-outs and stuff and audacity that don't sound terrible. We're going to be good. That's probably for the autumn episodes, being honest with you. But right now, we just want to get content out there in a way that you guys can enjoy. And we do want you to engage with us at every level. Obviously, you can comment on any post on the site on the post that's up here. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. In fact, uh, most of you probably are listening on iTunes. So please, thank you for subscribing. Do tell your friends because I think you're going to really enjoy the content we have. And tweet about us, LinkedIn us, because LinkedIn's actually really good. People seem to click on that. I don't know why, because it's professional and it's really boring. Uh, so yeah, LinkedIn us, tweet us, Facebook us, spread the love, spread 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 the word. 
you know, and like I said, I'm spreading the love and the word for the other good basketball podcasts out there. I think, well, the guys in your league adventures do Sam, Rob, Nick, uh, Austin from Lost Crossovers, they did great stuff. Dave Hines been killing it with uh, some ridiculously deep content for so long. You know, we want to get the word out for them as well. We want to make more people think. You know what? This is a thing we need to get into because. There, there definitely is space. I don't mean commercially. Obviously, there are commercial sides to it, but I mean there's space editorially for so many of these stories to be told and so many different ways to tell them. So you want to get that out there. Anyway, that's enough of me rambling. Thank you, as always, to the listeners of this podcast. Well, as always, because it's the first time. But to all the BIE family out there, you really make this worthwhile for us, the feedback. Thank you so much. We will catch you soon.